from the events on January 6th this year, I've been thinking about this idea of deception and the degree to which the narrative of revolution, the narrative of fight, the narrative going on threaded through the activists, rioters, insurrectionists of the day. I've been thinking a lot about deception and how such deep deceit could take root. And I want to approach it from a point of view of stress. And I want to approach it from a point of view of resources and conditions which occur under stress. So there's this little scientific bit of research that I've heard told, and I think I've heard it in a number of places, but particularly from Robert Trivers, the evolutionary biologist who was on the podcast in season one. This story might have come, this research might have come through him, might have come somewhere else. But apparently, if you take pictures of people and you show them different versions that either are their pictures unadulterated, as is in a picture that's a little bit more, I don't know how they exactly do it, but makes one less attractive and makes one more attractive by certain percentages People tend to believe that the pictures of themselves, which are about 25% more attractive, are the true ones. And the inference, and I guess the conclusions from that, is that people have a view of themselves as better than they are. And this gets into the idea of self-deception and deceit, right? Like, why would I want to see myself as better than I am. Well, it turns out that there's a deep evolutionary argument for that, that if I believe that I'm better or and or I can get other people to believe that I'm better than I am, then that's of benefit to me in whatever situation I'm in, whether I'm a a male species competing for Uh, female mating opportunities, and if I'm more potent than than I actually am or appear to be, then then that might help me. If I'm considered more valuable or considered to have more skills or resources than I actually might, then that could also support me. So deception, and we also know this from that glorious documentary, My Octopus Teacher and the Master of All Deceivers in the best way, um, his octopus friend, and the way she was able to morph and conceal and work with her environment in total mastery and camouflage at, at so many levels. So when it comes to stress and it comes to things that we can do or that things that arise in us from stress, there there are four that I've been taught, which make a lot of sense to me. And those four stress resources, as I've learned through Kelly McGonigal, 
our energy, focus, the courage to connect, and the capacity to learn. So these are, for me, things that I tie into the biological weave of evolution that the capacity to have energy is a cellular invention. The organizational awareness and focus and action patterns was something that in part was well established through the reptilian age. Connection, the ability to have kinship and work together and get past self-protective mechanisms and arbitrate and barter and share energy and resources and to be cooperative in the mammalian sense. And then, of course, all species learn, but no one learns, creates, and imagines quite like Homo sapiens do, like we do. So these are really cool resources, and they are, in a way, if you look at energy, you think of fight or flight, or one could think of fight or flight as energy type of resources, behavioral stress responses. But I believe that's a very limited notion of thinking about stress and stress responses, as in they are defined specific and reoccurring behaviors. The truth of stress for me is that all of who we are is part of our capacity to get involved with our stresses. You know, it doesn't mean that we just have to be in fight or flight. It's part of the repertoire, but it's not the beginning and in middle. It's merely the energetic beginning. Okay, so why am I going down this road of different types of stress responses? Because I believe and I've come to believe and I, I think I will continue to believe that Deception is one of the ways and a primary way that we deal with stress, that we sometimes fib to ourselves to make an uncomfortable um, situation more comfortable, to shine a better light on ourselves or others that we might want to protect and care for, or shine a worse light on others that we might be in competition with. Which is all to say that deception, deceit, is a semi-conscious and influential part of our stress response. So it's important to know, and I really like this idea from Lisa Feldman Barrett and what she talks about in the seven and a half lessons about the brain, which ties into my ideas of stress. So my core idea of stress is a stress is any demand on our energy or attention above our developmental level, right? So if it takes work for us to accomplish significantly in particular, then it becomes increasingly stressful. So in Lisa Feldman Barrett's idea that the brain is evolved to predict and what it's evolved to predict is the needs and resources related to what she calls, and I think the phrase is a body budget, meaning what does it take to plan, deal with, and manage the different elements of being alive from the interior dance of the physiology of the body to the ecological and social relationships. So all emotions and, and affective feelings and thoughts and 
unconscious processes, etc., would be tied into the body budget. Okay, what the hell does this have to do with January 6th? For me, I'm thinking about deception. And I'm thinking about stress in the body budget. And why would an increasing segment, subculture of America choose to believe that their 74 million votes or so was actually the winning number. And what mistrust and what, I don't know, I don't want to try and interpret too much. The word fear is coming to mind, but a, a very fearful narrative around the fate of where America's going and what's happening to it, which at some level is is fine, but at the level of deception around particularly the behavior that invading the Capitol and harming people and harming things and <laughs> and basically making a, a mess, you know, taking a giant, I wouldn't call it intellectual, but behavioral dump on the core center of American political dialogue to do that and to believe in that. And so why such a deep deception? Why such a deep deception? And I come back to the idea of stress, that when people are stressed, that that when people are stressed, it's more likely that we will narrow into some aspect of behavior, trying to have a higher level of connection, trying to learn and figure out what's going on, being more focused, and maybe being more deceptive or more vulnerable to deception. That it is a lower cost, that it's less expensive, that it's, it's easier in a way to believe, I guess what's kind of being called the big lie in some contagion ideas of, of, of conspiracy theories and the way they work, that it's cheaper to dwell there than it is to take the time and energy and effort to stress, to think through some of these things. So I guess what came out when I was talking about it with my wife today at the beach was the the memory of that line from the Hafez poem, the cheapest room in the house, that it's cheaper to dwell in deception than it is to do the work of being in truth. And maybe the stresses, and we can get into those, and, and the racial issues, which are definitely there and worth thinking about, but maybe the way to understand the willingness to abide in deception has to do with convenience. So I want to read this poem, which I think was first brought to me by a really great man and teacher in my life, a man named Michael Mead, and uh, uh, prone to read Hafez and other uh, mystical poems and build up the ecstatic energy in a room. So here it goes. Fear is the cheapest room in the house. I would like to see you living in better conditions. For your mother and my mother were friends. I know the innkeeper in this part of the universe. Get some rest tonight. 
Come to my verse tomorrow. We'll go speak to the friend together. I should not make any promises right now, but I know if you pray somewhere in this world, something good will happen. God wants to see more love and playfulness in your eyes, for that is your greatest witness to him.